Hello and welcome back to Stark Raving Ads. Today we had on Vicky Ross. Vicky was a really great guest. Vicky is um, a copywriter and a tone of voice specialist. We spoke about tone of voice for brands, um, the importance of it, what it looks like, how they discover it. Um, it was just a really, really insightful episode into part of advertising, a part of copywriting that's often sort of overlooked. People don't always think about the tone of voice that brands are using because it's not obvious or in her face. So it was really, really great to get Vicky on um, to discuss it just at a high level uh, with someone who is basically an expert in the industry and uh, working with Sky, Durex, Paper Chase um, in recent years. So really hope you enjoy this episode of Vicky. Um, one note is that my microphone I had a bit of an issue with, so I'm a little bit quiet and when I pass um, a couple of comments and questions on. So Apologies about that, and we'll have that fixed um, for the next episode. But you can hear Vicky loud and clear, and she's all that matters. So, without further ado, here is the brilliant Vicky Ross. Hello, and welcome to Stark Raving Ads. Today we have on Vicky Ross. Hi, Vicky. Hello. How are you today? I'm good. How are you? I'm I'm very good. I'm very excited to talk to you today. Um, if you want to start off by giving everyone a bit of background information about yourself, your career history and what you do. Yeah, uh, well, first, thanks for having me. Um, it's nice to talk to you too. Um, I am a copywriter first. Um, I have been writing copy for over 20 years, um, but probably for the last 10 years or so, I've specifically specialised in branding and tone of voice and now perhaps act more like a consultant so companies or agencies bring me in for a project or a period of time to advise on building or rebuilding a brand for them Um, and that means that we'll look at their assets and how and when and where they should use them and by brand assets I mean things like their logo, their colour, their font, their imagery and of course being a copywriter their tone of voice. Um, so basically what they look like and how they talk and we'll look at that for wherever they exist so for example Sky is my biggest client and I've worked on everything from channel launches on TV and in out of home like ads um, and then the copy on their website um, how they look and feel in their physical stores doing a big job with them um, in their and their social media team because uh, they launched uh, a new social media channel last year so we're working out what they should say when they should say it and how they should say it over on uh, Twitter and Facebook etc and then they've got other physical presences like a backstage bar and studios at the O2 Um, it sounds like I'm really trying to sell Sky right now Um, (laughs) but But the point is, I'm I'm working with them all the time to make sure that they're consistently on brand in everything, everywhere. And being consistently on brand is important because that's how people get to know you and recognize you and decide if they like you. So that's what I do most of the time. Great. Yeah. Um, so what was your sort of career journey? How did you get into the advertising industry? It's obviously notoriously hard to get in. You know, what was your path there? And what led you eventually to moving into tone of voice and away from copywriting sort of specifically? Um, I, I didn't know anything about advertising. Um, I think, you know, it's a typical story that advertising isn't really mentioned to you as a career option when you're at school. Yeah. Um, 
it's just something that happens on the telly and in magazines. Um, in fact, I was told in, by a careers advisor that I should be an air traffic controller, which is hilarious because I'm scared of flying and I <laughs> don't know my left from my right, um, uh, even at 43 years old. Anyway, um, so I always loved reading and writing. So I'd always make up stories. I mean, I can't say that they'd be any good now, but, you know, I was just really interested in, in words. And as I got a bit older, maybe around between 16, no, it must have been around 16, I thought about, you know, is there a way of writing as a career? I loved magazines, so I thought that meant I wanted to be a journalist because that was the only job I could associate with writing in the press. Yeah. Um, and so I actually, I wrote, <laughs> I wrote a letter to the editor of British Vogue and yeah. just asked for a job thinking that it was that easy. Um, I don't think I got a reply. I can't remember now. Um, I went to college. I did A-levels just as a, a sort of, you know, let's spend another two years working out how to do something. Yeah. Um, and I did take sort of advertising related subjects, I guess, um, but still not with a view of doing advertising. So I did media studies, which maybe gave me a bit more of an understanding of the whole thing. Thing. Um, and weirdly, I also did graphic design. Um, failed at everything. Um, I took French too. That's really hard. GCSE, I nailed it, but A levels is a different, different subject, pretty much. Um, and so I came out of college, no uh, qualifications. I never wanted to go to university. I've always been. Um, like into working hard and trying to make something for myself and getting somewhere so uh, three years at university um just didn't appeal to me I thought that's that was just three years delaying going out and earning money um so I got a job as a receptionist um I think I lasted about a year before they sacked me um because I just wasn't very good because obviously I didn't that's not what I wanted to do um I then ended up working in a small PR agency for four weeks, just supporting them on a big, uh, well, it was Michael Jackson's album launch at the time. Um, yeah, it was pretty cool, but I mean, I was just licking envelopes. Um, <laughs> and so after the four weeks there, it's really hard to talk about yourself. It sounds so boring. Should I carry on? No, continue, yeah. Okay. Um, I'm nearly there anyway. Um, after four weeks, the lady whose PR agency I worked for asked if I would go and be an office assistant and receptionist at her husband's agency, which I didn't realise at the time or understand was a tiny direct marketing agency. So I got lucky. Um, and once I understood what they did, which was basically write reader offers in the national press I asked the creative director if I could write one thinking that's basically an advert and they let me and because it was direct response and they could measure how well the piece performed uh, it turned out I'd done well and so they let me write more um, and then yeah from then on I could call myself a copywriter but there was a little bit of a halt in the journey, and that was um, after two and a half years of working there, I had a really bad car crash, and I just thought, hang on a minute, life's a little bit short. I've gone straight from school to work, and I haven't seen or done anything. So I went away traveling. And um, when I came back about a year and a half later, I just thought, right, I'm a copywriter. I could get a job in an ad agency. This is so easy. And like you said, it's really not. Um, no one had heard of me. I didn't know I had to have a book. Um, I hadn't been to ad school. I didn't have a partner. I didn't know that you had to do all of these things. Yeah. So um, again, like before, I needed to earn money. So I got a job as a um, PA at the body shop 
head office. And basically, I did the same thing as I did at the marketing agency. And after a couple of months, I told my boss, the product director, that actually I really wanted to be a writer. Um, and so she gave me something to rewrite from the creative studio. And she really liked it enough to um, move me over straight away. There's other bits in there that make the story even longer, but it's all along the same lines. And basically, I guess the shorter story is, I told anyone that would listen that I wanted to write. I didn't know what I wanted to write, but they gave me opportunities. And because I could do it, um, I was then able to make it a job. I love it. No, it's, it's great. Uh, I love hearing different people's, uh, different people's stories and how they get in, because it seems like everyone's got a unique way. And as you said, most people are the exact same where they have no way, you know, they're obviously aware of adverts on TV and in magazines and so on, but you don't ever really think of like, that's something that's a job that somebody does. So I think it's, yeah, people sort of discover it almost by sort of happenstance and then sort of stumble into his careers. But I, I love your route of just like, no matter where you work, you're just like, let, let me write something. I don't want to do this. I want to write. And then every time it sounds like you, um, sounds like you nailed it every single time. Well, I just think it's really important to look after yourself and take control of your life. Um, you know, we are all capable of making things happen for ourselves and we can't always rely on others. Like I always say to people when they're like, oh, I hope I get a pay rise or a promotion or whatever. Like, have you asked your boss or have you spoken to your boss? And they say, no, I'm hoping they'll just realize or recognize my achievements. And I just think people don't lie in bed at night thinking about you all the time. Um, so you need to tell people what you want. Um, and I think now with all the tools that are available to us as well, you don't even need to rely on other people all the time. You can just make stuff yourself. Like if you're trying to get noticed in the advertising industry and you want to make a spec campaign, you don't need to wait to be given a brief um, by a client you can just make one up and then put it on the dots or social media or something and it could get picked up yeah it's definitely especially with social media and things we definitely reach the age of if you want to do something you just do it it's sort of like the there's, there's no more permission and there's no more gatekeepers to doing anything you just sort of you know yeah you just create what you want to do which is good because it's empowering to people but it can be a little I think so um, beforehand yeah. And then the other thing is with the internet, I sound like I'm such an old woman with the internet. Yeah. Um, it's so easy to find people's email addresses now, like on LinkedIn, Google, the dots, um, agency websites. You, If you want to work at Gray, for example, you could look up um, Laura Jordan Baumbach's email address and, and find it within five clicks, probably, and then just contact her directly and tell her you don't have to wait for someone to make an introduction. Um I guess I'm just impatient <laughs> um, and like I say I like to be in control of what I'm doing rather than leaving it out to other people so yeah I guess my advice would always be um, see what you can do yourself. Yeah I mean I could definitely uh, put it in the, the email scraping thing uh, as part of this <laughs> podcast I'll be doing a lot of uh, website digging and LinkedIn <laughs> digging and cold emailing and begging and so on so yeah um, I can relate to that. So you work for you work sort of other tone of voice, I guess, expert or consultant, um, obviously advising brands. So when you go to a brand, how how do you decide what their tone of voice should be? Is it based on their values they already have? Is it more of a strategy, tactical thing? Like, how does that dialogue work? And how do they, you know, if you're a brand, how do you center in on, okay, this is what our tone of voice should be in our public facing stuff? I know this is an awful way to start my answer, but it depends. <laughs> um, so 
sometimes a brand creating their personality can start with the founder and their story like um uh, Richard Branson starting the Virgin brand with his maverick and rebellious personality which has pretty much um flown through everything that they've done in every iteration of their brand like I love the story um, about him starting, I think it was a music magazine when he was still at school and he, he used the school payphone to call people at music labels, but he'd call the operator first and ask them to check the line for him because he thought it was broken or something. So then the operator would ask his name and say, well, I'll put you through if I can make the connection. So then it made it sound like he had a secretary because um, they'd say, I've got Richard Branson on the line for you. Like, I love that story so yeah so so starting a, creating a brand personality or what a brand stands for can come from the founder's personality if they are the face of the brand yeah. um or a brand could could have a, a purpose and a personality based on um them starting up because they found a gap in the market like well oh, actually funnily enough i'm going to use gap as an example um so they started because I think it was the founders didn't think that companies made it easy to shop for jeans. And then they built their brand personality off of that purpose and it flowed through in everything that they do. So right through to how they talk. So, for example, they think, what would a person looking for an easy way to buy jeans want us to say? And how would they want us to say it? What would make them respond positively to us? Um, so it, I guess brand personality and tone of voice is is a way of, expressing itself to people so that they can get to know it and like it and want to buy from that brand and yeah one way of doing that is in the way it talks it's tone of voice so people aren't going to shop from a brand that is mean to them or yells at them um, and brands are constantly communicating with their customers so it's really important to do it in a way that they'll find interesting useful likable or even enjoyable um, so I at the start of a branding or rebranding project I sit in loads of meetings or I conduct workshops where we get people from across the business who know more than I do if I'm you know brought in fresh um, and we'll just work through what it is that they want to stand for who they're talking to what their competitors look like um, how to not look like competitors um, and yeah that can take the shape in that can take shape in loads of different ways I'm just trying to think like I I did a rebrand with Paper Chase a couple of years ago and um I made <laughs> I made their um staff feel like they were at a cocktail party but without the cocktails unfortunately like I got them all to stand up and mingle around the room and just make small talk and um talk about the brand as if it was a person and I just ran around like making notes listening into what they were saying and then using that language to sort of present back to them what they thought that their brand was and then deciding um sort of starting up a discussion as to whether they thought that's what they wanted their brand to be or look or sound like um or another way of doing it is creating a character so um when when the when sky had a social media channel for each of their tv channels they've consolidated it now into one but we were working out the personality for each channel um, and for Sky Atlantic, for example, we did a whole brainstorm and workshop on creating a person or a character. And actually, we found that everything that we'd come up with together turned out to be just like Don Draper in um, Mad Men. Um, I think I told you this when I came in and spoke um, with you guys last year, maybe, did I? Um, 
can't remember. It sounds like I'm putting you on the spot to remember what I said, and I'm not. I'll, I'll keep going. Um, and so then when you've got a character in mind, that makes it really easy to write on behalf of that brand because you could be like, well, what would Don Draper say and what would Don Draper do? Um, so, yeah, I feel like I just waffled through all of that. Did any of that help? No, definitely, yeah. It's Okay. <laughs> yeah, I guess if you've got a... Um, the founder thing is obviously would be a massive benefit because you can mm. sort of play off that, especially when they're public. Um and then, yeah, I guess they just got to, yeah, find, uh, as you said, the personality thing must be, uh, is probably a great way to do it because then you don't have to think, what do we want to say? It's what do they want to say? And you can sort of, you know, you can look at this external thing and think of them speaking rather than the brand speaking themselves. It's a lot easier probably to find the, the right tone of voice and the right things to say. It also helps in exactly the same way, but when you're thinking about how you write as a individual person not connected to a brand because it can be really easy to write like from yourself but you want it to sound like the brand not you that not you your your person your your own personality that wouldn't be right so yeah you can just keep asking yourself what would the brand do and say yeah so on that um how would you suggest that you know other students like myself how would we better um understand and use um, tone of voice? How do we get into the tone of voice of different brands? How important is it? And yeah. Well, so this is a good question because from what I understand, students, especially ad students, don't get a huge amount of education on tone of voice or branding as a whole. I think courses focus more on advertising. So you're expected to know and understand the brand before you start executing on behalf of it. so that's something I've been thinking about recently. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong. I'm, I don't obviously know the whole curriculum that you're following. Um, but how can you do it? Well, I would, well, I, I say I would, this is what I do as well. I, I'd consume a brand. I would read every single word on their website and in all their social posts. And when we can go out, um, not in a pandemic, if they have a physical presence, um, go like, like go to their store and read the copy on the wall at the till and on the shelf. Because the more you understand how they talk, the easier it will be to talk on behalf of them. Um, and you could also try just straight up copying their copy, like writing it out to get a feel for their writing before you go on to write something new. And try extending their campaigns rather than reinventing anything. I think in my experience of um, tutoring and mentoring on ad courses, students think it'd be a great idea to rebrand something, but often um, it's, it's really interesting to see that you've actually understood a brand, not wanted to change it. So if I was hiring, I'd really want to see someone understood the brand that I was hiring for not here's what I think you could do differently for the brand yeah yeah so it's more you know this is that here's a campaign that's new but is something totally on voice and totally something they would run there exactly oh yeah I think you know Pepsi should now talk you know totally differently exactly I'd want to look at work and be like oh my god I can so see that running that is so something that we would do as a as that brand then I would like see the the that would be really smart to me showing that you can think differently I can see that in anything you can do that in like a one-off social media post but showing me that you can understand and execute a brand consistently is what impresses me and it's what impresses me um from existing brands like 
uh, Nike, for example, in the at the start of the pandemic, they um, put a piece of communications out that uh, it could have run on any day because it was just so consistent with how they talk normally. Um, I've got it here, actually. I'm going to read it out to you. It said, if you ever dreamed of playing for millions around the world, now is your chance. Play inside, play for the world. And I, like I say, that could have run at any point. So just um, brands and people working on behalf of brands, just like, keeping up that consistency is always really important. Um, I'm just thinking actually more about the education bit. Um, I've got some book suggestions if you would like me to give them a shout out. Um, so the book of branding by Radim Malik and branding in five and a half steps by Michael Johnson are really useful in understanding a bit of history of branding, but also how to create a brand and execute on behalf of a brand um, in the future. Perfect. Um, that's yeah, that's great. I'm always, always open to to book recommendations. I well, I realise you're you're a student, and maybe books <laughs> can be expensive. But don't tell anyone. I know we're on a podcast. That was a joke. Um, if you Google hard enough, you can find some books um, in PDF form online. Um, but some free resources I've just thought of actually. Um, there's an agency called Read Words. Um, R double -E D. Um, they specialise in branding and tone of voice and they share case studies on their website um, showing how they created a tone of voice for a client. And also their monthly email newsletter is really short because <laughs> um, I know people sort of groan at newsletters sometimes because there can be so many of them and they can be really lengthy. But Read Word sends theirs out once a month and um, it's, usually, it's based around words, obviously, and it's really interesting and useful. And then I'm going to just give one more shout out, actually, while I'm busy. Um, Nick Parker, his website uh, is called That Explains Things. He created a deck of cards called Voice Box, and it's based on 11 types of personalities and tone of voice. Um, so I would have a look around there as well. Okay, great. Thank you very much. Always, sure. Uh, always good to plug some good resources, <laughs> especially for, for students who are just trying to take in as much as they can and learn from um, all sorts of sources. Mm. Is there any brand that you would say have a really good, really clear tone of voice right now? You can be biased, you can be as much, you know, as biased as you want here. Um, <laughs> or... um, well, so I think lots of people say this, but Apple, I love how they write. Um, I wish I could write for them. They, um, they're just so smart and stylish, but also creative, which is representative of their brand personality. Um, too their plays on words it just all seems so effortless and fun but I can just imagine there's so much hard work that goes into it but yeah I love looking on their website and just seeing how they've um, crafted a new a headline for a new product or offer um who else well, so sorry Apple, it was their most recent one um let me just find it they had some some great stuff there I think it was the, the latest iPhone release um let me see there was a line, I think it was for an iPhone, that said Blast Fast Pass. Oh, sorry, bl oh, what an idiot getting it wrong when I'm saying how much I love them. <laughs> bl <laughs> blast Past Fast. Yeah. Um, so, that was fun. Yeah, it was just like really small little bits of copy um, in their announcement. So it was for even better spill and splash resistance. So it was H2OK, which is just like, it's yeah, and then... 5g speed omg but it was omg g g g mm, yeah um, yeah and then more detail in the blink of ai 
but like written letter A, yeah. letter I, yeah. and I. It's just like so small, like you know, wasn't you know, wasn't the the main part of the campaign? Just these small yeah. little copy details that are just like so on brand, so smart, so good. Um, yeah, they're, they're great. One of my favourite lines is an old one of theirs, and it, I think it was for the MacBook Air. No, it must have been for the MacBook Air when it first came out. And the line was light, full stop, years ahead, full stop. So it worked as two sentences, yes. but also as one at the same time. And I just love stuff like that. That 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 is just like, yeah, it's just so good. Like The person that wrote that must have just sat back and been like, yeah, I've nailed that. That's, <laughs> that, 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 yeah, that's it. <laughs> yeah it's true um i'm trying to think of other brands oh so virgin I, I know i mentioned them earlier but they're a good brand to to talk about because you know like nike they have offices well nike have offices and agencies around the world and they all somehow manage to be on brand and consistent in everything everywhere for every sport for every fan um and that is like one hell of a job yeah. um virgin on a smaller um level they have uh, offices all around the UK I don't know if they're abroad as well but anyway um, they use their tone of voice and everything I don't know if they do it as much as they used to disappointingly but I used to love looking on um, like the Virgin Holidays website and just the little things like when you'd get down to the call to action button after describing a holiday rather than saying view more or find out more or book now like really transactional lines they would say things like take me there, I'm out of here, um, like lay a towel down on the lounge or something like that. So it was just really consistent with their personality, but also fun. And I know like sales and marketing people would say, oh, but CTA buttons work better when they're transactional because it tells the customer exactly what they're going to do and that they're about to spend money at this point. But I think if a brand has been consistent in their um, well, in Virgin's case, they're flamboyant in their flamboyant personality throughout to then suddenly go all sort of formal and business like and say view more. It, it can feel uncomfortable, especially if they've been consistent for so long. And I know people don't say, oh, I really like that brand um, and I don't like that brand or pay that much attention to a personality and tone of voice like we think that they should. <laughs> but I think if you're a Virgin customer and um, you know you've been using them for a long time, you will actually expect them to write in that way. So it is important to be on brand and everything. Yeah, um, I'm I'm a sucker for a good uh, anytime that a brand or a website or just you know literally yeah basically any website when they've got a creative call to action button that fits in with what they're selling, I always I always think that's just such a such a small thing because it's so easy to just write find out more or get it now or whatever they want to write you know these obviously ones that have the great you know maximal click-through rates you know judged across you know thousands of different people and they've done all the number crunching but <laughs> yeah whenever it's like a little bit creative and a little bit um they've actually put some thought into it i always prefer i always think they're great well i think it can help a customer feel comfortable spending money in that scenario rather than feeling like okay now we're at the bit where we take your money hand <laughs> it over yeah Definitely. Um, so in the past, you have run some copy events, am I right? Yes. So Copy Cabana, which, love the name, <laughs> um, and a few others. How do they come about and, you know, how do they sort of work and operate and run? Okay, so uh, Copy Cabana is, was, sorry, um, it was 
uh, I, I never wanted to call it a conference. It was an event. I wanted a day where we celebrated copywriting. I think copywriting and copywriters are so undervalued and, um, you know, lacking in respect, unfortunately, and support. Um, so I wanted a day where copywriters could come and be reminded of how good their job is because I love my job. Um, and so to keep up this sort of fun um, energy that I wanted to surround it um, we did it I say we it was with um, another copywriter called Andy Maslin we partnered because we both just felt like there just weren't events like this for copy I mean there's hardly anything for copywriters there are more now but at the time so this is 2016 we first launched Copy Cabana so we did it on Bournemouth Beach and that's why we called it Cabana because every beach needs a cabana yeah. Um, and yeah we just wanted it to sound fun from the name right through to everything else that we did and we just weren't shy in putting it, it on we went to the biggest names we could think of to be the speakers that we had in the first year Drayton Bird um, and we had Hayley Redman, who's not there now, but she was the lead writer at Innocent. And I think, you know, everybody talks about Innocence. We had to have her. Yeah. Um, and we had Miles Carter from Adam and Eve DDB talking about the John Lewis Christmas ad. So we went for legends, but also for people who were doing jobs that we wish that we were doing um, and that were highly awarded and um, highly talked about um, and respected in the industry. And then we did it again. It sold out like 200 tickets. And we did it again the following year. And we had Steve Harrison, another legend. Um, and I can't remember, just loads of amazing people. So it's really bad that I can't remember it. Well, I feel on the spot. <laughs> um, but then we had to, for logistical reasons, we had to move it to London, unfortunately. Um, but we changed the name to Copy Capital. Um, so it was you know, reflective of the city. And we had Faye Weldon as our legend. And uh, I mean, you could have heard a pin drop with her speaking. She was just incredible. And actually going back to talking about Apple earlier, we had um, Amy Lewis, who's a copywriter at Ogilvy now, but she did write for Apple for I think it was five or seven years. And because Faye Weldon started at Ogilvy, we had Amy interview her and it was such a great chat. Um, so it came about because like I said, nothing like that existed. And you know, I already said, I like to make things happen. I like to take control. Um, so yeah, we made it happen. Um, we stopped doing it after Copy Capital, which was 2019, because it is so much work putting on an event between two people when actually our jobs are copywriters, not event organizers. And it was taking just too much time out of our lives to put it on. I really, really, really wanted a company or an agency to sort of buy it or sponsor it or something so that we could um, continue doing it and maybe take staff on to put it on. Because the other thing is we tried to keep ticket prices really low. I mean, if I had my way, everyone would have come for free, but there are costs. So um, we personally weren't making any money out of it. And we were losing time doing work that we did make money out of. Um, and we didn't have any financial um, support to keep it running. And actually, with the pandemic, that turned out to be a blessing in disguise, because I know people who are putting on events have had to work so hard to um, either either change tack and go online or compensate people. And I mean, I, it just must be a nightmare. Um, but I still think it should exist in some way, maybe when we get out of all of this 
pandemic stuff um so if anyone's listening and wants to <laughs> help me let's do it um but then the other thing i do which is um more current um is my twitter hashtag copywriters unite so i started that because often copywriters work alone um either at home freelancing uh, or they can be the only copywriter in an agency with no head of copy to sort of support them or develop them. So I started the hashtag so that copywriters could find and talk to each other around the world. And it was so popular that people started asking if we could turn it into a meetup. And I kind of freaked out at first because social media is like where people hide mostly. Um, but I couldn't ignore how much people were asking for it. Um, but I mean, yeah, I was nervous. So Andy Maslin, yet again, my partner in crime from the Copy Cabana and Copy Capital events, he arranged the first meetup and only five people turned up. And so I was a bit like, you've all been saying that you wanted to do this and now no one's here. This is weird. But I, it was really fun to just be in a room. Sorry, not in a room. We were in a bar. But to be at a table with other people who just speak your language and know what you do and understand you and appreciate you. Um, and so I organized the next one and I think around 30 people came um, and that was ages ago now I can't remember when it was maybe 2013 that seems too long ago anyway um, I now do them quarterly well when we're allowed out I do them quarterly in London and I mean like the biggest one we had about 80 people come one to one wow. summer one yeah it was amazing and it is it's just drinks in a pub there's no agenda I'm not trying to sell you anything you don't buy a ticket you just come and meet people and hang out and it's brilliant um, and they've become so popular that people either come from out of London to them or they host them themselves in their own town, city, um, and it's and it stretched around the world. So they've happened in Australia, in New York, in, um, uh, in Europe. And it's so exciting um, to see everyone coming together. And then the other exciting thing about it is what, what started as just drinks in a pub and getting to know people has turned into a creative director might come if they're looking to hire a copywriter or... Um, people have partnered up or people have collaborated on a project or or just made friends or ha found a mentor and that is what's really um, sort of successful about it and and rewarding yeah I mean that's to get all that kind of stuff um, out of what started as literally just a hashtag yeah <laughs> I mean it's fantastic it's great yeah um, yeah I love it yeah it's just great to have as you said um, I'm sure there's loads of people that are um, quite isolated and or you know even just partners and friends and so on don't really understand what copywriting is and just having that um, sort of almost community feeling where they feel they can connect with their, their fellow copywriter and um, talk about things that the other person will just instantly understand exactly I should actually add one more thing. I mean, totally everything you said is exactly what it does and why it exists, but it's also being used to share jobs. Um, so if any of your listeners are looking for jobs, people often post using that hashtag. It's very, very useful. A job board and a <laughs> oh, very competitive jobs now because you'll have the more people that, that will get involved in the hashtags now they'll all be after the, the jobs on the hashtags so. yes but you know what i'm not worried because everybody needs words and um 
there are so many copywriter jobs going around the world. I don't know why I've got a job, but I always look at what jobs are. I like to know what's going on. I'm very nosy. Um, and I like to share them when I see them because I like to help people too. Um, and what I've seen is there are loads of jobs going. And, you know, while we are going through a really horrible time um, and businesses have had to move all their operations online, if they've had to close their shops, for example, they're using social media and email and their websites to talk more. And the way of talking is by writing and you need a copywriter for that of course yeah very yeah that's true so there's lots of work yeah <laughs> well fingers crossed that there's uh there's still lots of work when i graduate you are all gonna be fine yeah um okay um where can people find you if they want to hear more from you um i'm on twitter i don't know if i tweet too much i don't know what the rules are but i'm on twitter vicky ross writes um and that's it <laughs> um happy to be contacted if i can ever offer anyone advice um, my email address is vicky ross writes at mail.com perfect okay thank you very much thank you